Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, listeners and supporters of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast? We need some help from you and it won't take up too much of your time. As we grow, we always want to hear your feedback, so take a minute or two to fill out a short anonymous survey. The survey link is right in the episode notes for this podcast. It's easy and takes less than five minutes. As always, we thank you for your continued support. podcast episode 151 dexter henry brian fonseca here brian what's up man how you doing yo i you know what for 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 here we for reasons go that, for reasons that excitement i didn't excitement over violence i could just see it in your face excitement yo, over violence here's the thing about this fight Vasily Lomachenko and Teofimo. Oh, 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 wait, wait, see, I, I didn't even think you were going there. I thought you were going to talk about the, the wrestling. No, this is oh. good excitement over violence. I didn't know where your excitement was going. No, 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 no. This no. is Although acceptable is, excitement look, like, over at violence. The time, let me just mention this before we like really introduce the episode. <laughs> at the time we're recording this, AJ Styles has introduced a man on Monday Night Raw. I can't pronounce his last name. I'm sorry, but I'm going to give it a shot. Jordan Amagbehein. Uh, who's from Nigeria? He's his bodyguard. He's seven foot three, three hundred thirty-four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pounds. But Top but hold player. on, hold on. It is distracting. Hold on Matt to the people. In the ring before for him we right now, before he's we standing there in the suit. Before we started recording, you should have seen Brian's reaction. People who can't watch this or listening, Brian was like, "Who is that guy? Who is yeah. this big dude in the middle of the ring?" And he just now he can't keep his attention focused off of the wrestling. Yo. I got like I, after this podcast ends because we've officially started. I'm going to send you a picture of this, okay? Because it, it's, I'm it's, not understanding how ridiculous it is. And the, it's probably also because he's not like in ring gear. He's just in a gray suit with a turtleneck. You know what I mean? It's actually a nice suit, but like he's just standing there, and I'm just like, dude, this guy is huge. And 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 here's the thing: we're the same age. <laughs> we but, were clearly made differently. But you guys are not the same height or same weight. That is for sure. That is for sure. Three three thirty four. So shout out to Jordan, man. Ho- hopefully, hopefully he does well in the WWE. I mean, he's with AJ Styles, so that's a that's a good starting point. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see how he does. But the violence that Vine was getting excited about, we talked about yeah. heavily in our last episode, uh, and we talked a lot of boxing. And I might have to say this: for boxing, the real might be back. We might have something real here. Uh, Brian and I, uh, both fans of the sport, um, yes. we talked about this fight in the last episode, the Teofimo Lopez, Vasily Lomachenko fight. Uh, we were both very excited for this fight. Brian's still looking at the wrestling. Can't keep, cannot take his eyes away from the screen. My father, my father walked past the screen and he's like, damn. Oh, damn. See, now I gotta see what this guy looks like. Cause now it seems like it's a strike. Um, <laughs> But we both were excited for this boxing match. And I don't know if I want to say, B, that it lived up to the hype or what we thought it was. I think for both of us as fans, we just, whenever we see guys who are both talented 
and they actually make a fight and get in the ring, which is so rare in boxing. I know you're like me. We're like, we just want to see something good. We yeah. want to see a good fight. We want to see both fighters rise to the level of their talent. And yeah. I thought this fight did that. Now, maybe it didn't end the way some people wanted to, or you didn't see things play out uh, exactly from the start the way you'd wanted to, and we'll get into that. But I thought it delivered in what we needed to. And if you haven't, if you've been living under a rock, you don't follow boxing for some reason, this was, this was an upset. Uh, yeah. Vasily Lomachenko was favored in this fight, I think, by many people. Myself, Brian, Ryan Sangali, who was our last guest on our podcast, we all picked Vasily Lomachenko to win in a decision. That did not happen. There was a decision, and there was a ridiculous score by a judge. We'll get into that, too. <laughs> but it was to Teofimo Lopez, who won this bout, unanimous decision, won this, and... Look, I'm going to say, Ryan Sangalia said this on the last podcast, B. He said if Teofimo Lopez won this fight, boxing would have themselves a new star. And I think we all nodded in agreement and said, look, this would undoubtedly be the biggest win of his career. He would have unified all the light, that brought all the lightweight belts together. Uh, He holds all of them now. He's the undisputed lightweight champion of the world. And he did this against a fighter who I am sort of a fan of. Uh, and Vasily Lomachenko. I love how Vasily fights, and I think he was a great champion, and this was a big test for him. And this young man, representing Brooklyn, because, you know, we do do everything great. That's important. (laughs) Representing Brooklyn, uh, and also shout out to his native folks in in Honduras, um, came out from the start, and Brian and I were texting. Brian's tweeting through this fight. We were very impressed. Very oh, yeah. so. So let's start I'm giving it up on Twitter. Yeah, let's 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 start there, Brian. When we look at this fight, um, and what we wanted to see, you and I both were. I know we were texting time. We're like, "Yo, Lopez came out here good, strong." We thought that there's a possibility he could have been overwhelmed by the moment. He might try yeah. to do too much here, but that yeah. wasn't the case. I was super impressed. Like the fight itself actually exceeded my expectations because. And I kind of said what I expected on the last episode. I had thought that he was going to get overly aggressive. Because this is a classic thing that we've seen. The young dude, maybe is a little bit overconfident. Maybe it's too much too soon. Especially somebody who's 23 years old. And especially with somebody, somebody excuse me, who went into the fight with a 15-0 record. That's just not a lot of professional experience before going into somebody like Vasily Lomachenko. Who, granted, doesn't have as many professional fights either. However, he has the 400 amateur fights or so and the, and the six uh, World Series of boxing fights, which, you know, people, some people think it could count as his record, which would have made him 20-1 and one as opposed to 14-1. and one. And the one loss he has was kind of BS. I mean, it was just, a, it was just an ugly fight. I think it was Orlando Salido who kind of roughed him up. And, you know, boxing judging, not always the greatest, which we'll get to in a, in a few. But I was, I was actually, like, very, impl- very surprised and impressed at the poise, just the poise that Teofimo Lopez had throughout the course of the fight. Like, he never, he wavered a little bit somewhere down the stretch. Like, if we could just walk you through it real quick. He comes out in the beginning, and it's like, whatever. I figured, you know, Vasily Lomachenko, because he's a slow starter, as I think Timothy Bradley probably mentioned on the broadcast, or Andre Ward. Uh, You know, he's somebody that he... He likes to download information. He likes to just wait it out. Like Floyd Mayweather was kind of like this. Uh, Terrence Crawford is like this a lot, who we're going to see very soon. And I'll probably touch on that before we get into other stuff on this podcast. 
Um, you know, they like to just wait a couple of rounds and study the opponent, see what the tendencies are, whatever, because these are defensive-minded, just very smart fighters who, you know, like to download this information and then pounce on you in round three or four and then really take over the fight from there. We didn't see that because uh, Teofimo Lopez didn't really get overly aggressive at all. He just kind of kept his distance. He used his jab. The main thing for me was he was not neglecting the body. Super important when you're fighting somebody who moves around the way Vasily Lomachenko does. And very few people move around the way he does. But when you're fighting somebody who just moves around and likes to use the ring, you have to hit him with body shots. Anytime that I fought a defensive fighter in fight night, you got to chop down the wood downstairs. Come back to the video like that's, of course. that's just how it goes. You know what I mean? And in real life, too. Like, you know, because a lot of people head hunt and it's, it's, it's easier to evade punches to the head than punches to the body. It just is. Um, so in order to let them get the moving target to be less of a moving target, Teofimo Lopez did that. He stuck to it the whole night. I had I had the score uh, 115, 113. I had Lomachenko winning rounds 8 through 11, and I don't remember if the other one was 5 or 6. Admittedly, that was sort of a pick em round that could have gone either way, which is why I thought 115, 113, or 116, 112 was optimal. Uh, Lomachenko I waited too long, or maybe he was surprised that Teofimo Lopez's just constant and consistent attack and not getting overwhelmed, not leaving him a lot of opportunities for Vasily Lomachenko, an expert counterpuncher, to counter. And it looked like he just wanted to take the fight over at some point, but didn't really go for it until round eight. He definitely swept eight through 11. But then Lopez in the 12th round, and I want you to uh, talk about this as well. Yeah. In the 12th round, he really showed me like, oh, no, I'm not just going to cruise to victory. Like the way Oscar De La Hoya tried to do uh, against Felix Trinidad. <laughs> and I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> and I don't care because a lot of people say to this day that he lost. No, he did not win that fight fucking ran at the end he didn't oh live. he went to the oh, he, oh, he, oh he ran he ran he ran, ran you know what yeah, i mean yeah. in round 12 teofimo lopez really showed me something he took the championship from vasily lomachenko having arguably his best round of the fight when it mattered the most and that showed me a lot i agree with that i agree with everything brian said there i think that was the more impressive thing you can look at how he started and obviously he was very poised and we love that but even we, when when lomachenko did exactly what we knew was going to happen now for people rooting for Lomachenko, you would have wished it started a little bit earlier. I think I said this between rounds five and six. I tweeted out, it's getting late early for Lomachenko. He's got to start getting this going. And he did until uh, round eight. I agree with Brian. He won eight to 11. He was really aggressive in those rounds, landed some good punches to the body and connecting to the face. Very good counter punches by Lomachenko there. But the thing that impressed me, and this is what Brian's saying and where I agree completely. With that happening in rounds eight to 11, I think I also gave round two to Lomachenko because he caught a couple of really good shots there. But that was probably me being a bit generous there. However, that being said, he dominates rounds 8 to 11. And that's where you could say, if you're in Lopez's corner, you might say, hey, look, man, we got this in hand. Just stay away. Couple yeah. jabs. You know what I'm saying? Get out of there. That sort of thing. And he was like, no, 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 no. This, I'm going to show the heart of a champion. I'm going for it. I'm going to take it, as you just said, B. I'm going to take these this round. And he did. He came out and did it. He matched and countermatched that energy that Lomachenko was giving in the previous four rounds. And he came out and said no. And he, he landed. And that's what he, he wanted. Because I believe at that point, many people, including myself, I had it six rounds to five. You know, Lomachenko wins that 12th round. I mean, anything is up in the air right there. I would have had it at a, at a draw. I, I would have had it at a draw at that point. And I think that would have been fair. But that was the fight. And that's what it was made to be. And 
A champion steps up in the clutch. We laud people for stepping up in the clutch in other sports. And Lopez did that and looked good and looked in control and didn't look tired. Um, this is a guy who's shown his power a lot. And he knew that he couldn't be reckless against Lomachenko. That's where you have to respect Lomachenko's fighting. He knew he couldn't be reckless. He was aggressive but measured. And that showed me somebody who knew how to adjust to the fighter he was fighting without getting too much off of his game and not trying to do too much. So for me, that was really impressive. The 12th round, I was sitting there like, oh, man, damn, Lomachenko's done. This is this is definitely Lopez's match, and he definitely got it. And look, if you don't know about Tiafima Lopez, and I was a little late on him because Brian put, him, put me on to him in the past year. This kid is good. This yeah. kid has beat a good champion. This is a star for the sport of boxing. This is somebody, if you've been kind of fringe on boxing, you should have been. You should look for it. Because if you kind of relate to boxing, you probably should have been watching Lomachenko the last couple of years because he was a great fighter and he's always 35 and getting up there in age. But this is a kid who is, let's talk about Lopez's age, 23, people. He is yeah. 23 and he is a lightweight champion in the world. He's got all the belts. He can absolutely move up and fight at a higher weight and will. And there's no reason for you to think that he can't do this. I haven't been this excited probably about somebody this young in the sport. Somebody disappointed me, which was Adrian Broner years ago. <laughs> and that didn't go out the way I thought it was. I thought it was going to work out. But there's still reason to get excited. But here's the thing, B. This is what comes to the next question. We can talk about all this. We can talk about how excited we are about Lopez, how we think he should have this trajectory upwards and, and be better and better. But you and I always talk about this, right? Boxing sometimes gets in the way of boxing. <laughs> and will they get in the way? We're, we're talking about the real is back here. It looks like we've got some juice in boxing. But the thing we like about Lopez, and I know you like it too, he wants to fight the best people. He did not yeah. shy away from fighting Lomachenko. He, he has talked about wanting to fight other people. We also hope there's a rematch for this. Um, yeah. I think Lopez will probably take another fight first before he does that. But I think we could definitely see a rematch. But he has wanted to fight the best guys. He hasn't run away from it. But boxing doesn't necessarily work like that. This I'm not a big UFC guy, but we, you know, we know this is in UFC where we see the best people fight the best people. Does boxing, and I asked this to Ryan, does boxing know what to do with a star? If, if I asked him that. If Lopez wins, does boxing really know what to do with him? I'm kind of skeptical, man. I trust Bob Arum a little more than other promoters Understood. in that regard, even though he's in his 80s, I think, <laughs> when you really think about it. I've been doing this for a while. What's that saying about the sport, you know? But, I, like, I got to give it to uh, Teofimo Lopez also because, like, leading up to this fight, he put down Richard Comey. You know what I mean? Like, this is a former champion-level fighter who he just put away in the second round. Impressively. I think this was the last fight that I actually saw in person because this was December of last year at the Garden on the undercard of Terrence Crawford's fight that we touched on in the last podcast. Um, and even before then, he had a couple of other wins against some guys. Like I even thought Mason Menard, that fight was perhaps a little bit too soon, and he knocked him out in the first round in 2018. Before that, he knocked out uh, William Silva, who I believe his only loss prior to that was Felix Verdejo. Felix Verdejo started his string of underwhelming performances and only won by decision. Uh, Teofimo Lopez got him out of there in six and looked great, especially toward the end of that fight. So I trust Bob Arum a little bit more, and I think that with top rank, because Lopez and Lomachenko are under the same umbrella, that it's entirely possible we get this rematch again because there's not one guy with, like, Matchroom and another guy with Al Heyman and this 
you know, mess. So I think we'll get that again. What surprised me, though, is Dan Raphael, formerly of ESPN, who I don't know who he's doing. I think he's just doing some freelance work, boxing-related or whatever. But he's still one of the guys that's really plugged in in the sport, reported that there was no rematch clause, which surprised me. Uh, apparently, Lomachenko's team didn't feel like they needed one. I don't know. I do think that there's going to be a rematch at some point. To me, it's like if you're top rank, yes, people are going to want to see this again. Lomachenko should want to do this again because, again, he is like 32, uh, I think 33 years old soon. So he's going to want to be able to, you know, cash in while he's still at the back end of his prime years, theoretically. Mm-hmm. Um, although I'm not sure he wins in a rematch either because I think that Teofimo Lopez is going to continue to get better and better because the the – you know, the, the, the beginning of his career has already suggested that. Um, now, I think that he's going to be able to reach a level of superstardom with top rank that he probably wouldn't elsewhere. Although you already alluded to, he already has all the belts in this weight class. I'm not really sure. I mean, he beat Lomachenko. So, you know, we'll see if, if, if Devin Haney is going to come into the fold or, you know, I don't know how this I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be Haney. That's going to be the talk for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know if, I don't know if like they're going to be able to make a, a, a Leo Santa Cruz, Gervonta Davis winner work out here or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, I'm not sure if Teofimo Lopez already has aspirations to move up. He's five foot eight. He's somebody who can round out and be a future welterweight, uh, which will be down the line because he's still at lightweight right now. Um, so I'm not sure, and we'll see. And and look, I just want to touch on this: the Julie Letterman scorecard. Julie Letterman, she's yeah. had she's had some other fights before where I'm just kind of like, ah, eh, like I don't know what she's watching. Um, I can't really think of any off the top of my head. Although she was, she did do, and I'm looking through it now. She did do Miguel Cotto, Saddam Ali. Um, Gave Saddam Ali the win there, which I don't feel was too debatable. But the 119-109 card, I, even the 117-111 card, I don't feel like was great. Because I think Lomachenko definitely won four. But I, if I, if, you know, whatever, right? 119-109, I was just like, whoa. <laughs> like, whoa. And I was nervous because boxing been a boxing. I thought that. Lomachenko would have gotten like an outrageous card like that in his favor. In his favor, right. You know what I mean? So I don't know if they're just trying to get Lomachenko up out of there as the veteran. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I mean, the decision was right. Like, to me, it was definitely a Lopez win. That score yeah. was just, that score was ridiculous. Thank like, God they got the decision right. Right. Least. The decision was right. And I guess that's what matters. I'm not going to heart too much more on it. But like, I just felt like that score was like, there's no way you saw the score as a 10-point gap. And you're only giving Lomachenko a handful of rounds there. Like I, 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 I didn't, I didn't see that. I was almost like, "What are you watching?" Um, one yeah. of the things I'm intrigued about this be, and there hasn't been numbers on this. I was actually just looking this up. Is the ratings haven't come out for this yet? This remember, this was on ESPN, not ESPN Plus. And Joe Tessitore said that that's a trend that's probably going to continue. Not probably because he alluded to on the broadcast. Like, oh, wait, this. what's the trend? The trend is that there's going to be more fights like this on ESPN. On ESPN, yeah. Well, That's in- what he sort of alluded to on the broadcast. It's interesting because before the fight, Bob Aaron didn't want to predict how many viewers he thought it would get. Um, and he did say this, and this was a quote I got for him, um, is that it doesn't if it doesn't get the number of viewers that I hope it gets, then television networks are not going to be emboldened to step up to the plate to show these type of events on regular television. Obviously, this was on ESPN, uh, you know, paid cable, not, not pay-per-view. But I think there's been a lot of talk with how events in the past, we've seen the PBC on the regular networks, and that hasn't really done that well. So I'm really intrigued to see 
not only what the numbers of this fight does, but what happens next with Lopez in terms of how he's promoted and if he is on an ESPN fight and how those numbers are. Um, but it was, look, for the sport, I said it was a great night for the sport. I said this on Twitter. I think it's good. It'll be interesting to see what this does in ter- terms of viewership. I don't know if boxing's ever going to be that kind of sport again. It's kind of a niche sport right now in this country. Um, but I think to have fights that people want to see or maybe a star that people want to see uh, is definitely interesting. So this was a good fight for boxing. We'll see what's next for uh, Loma. We'll see what's next for Lopez. And, uh, yeah, uh, hopefully ESPN can get some more fights like this that people uh, will be intrigued into looking at. It's also worth mentioning from a business side, uh, there was a UFC card on the same night where this is you know, not really customary of the UFC. The main card began at 7 p.m. This was on ESPN+. Plus. This is also mm-hmm. an ESPN card. So this was you know, at the same time that they started the prelims for the boxing card. The prelims for the UFC card uh, actually began at 4, but the main card began at 7. So the main event was between Brian Ortega, T-City, and the Korean Zombie. Uh, he beat the Korean Zombie in, I don't remember if he stopped him or he won by decision. I think he won by decision. It was actually a really good fight, but it ended well before the boxing main event. So that tells you ESPN wanted to sort of clear out the stage yeah. for this to be the main event. And, you know, it, it ended up being a successful card because you got that and you also got a couple of, uh, of good fights on the undercard. Probably most notably is Edgar Berlanga, who we featured in La Cultura, got a, a 15 straight first round knockout. And, you know, so, nobody's giving nobody's giving this man rounds, yo. Somebody's, <laughs> Somebody got to give him rounds. Somebody I got, thought that Lanel Bellows, who he fought, was actually going to last a couple we, I, of rounds. I thought that this was his fight he for was, him, yeah. He's a tough dude, 25, 20 wins, 5 losses, 3 uh, draws. But of his 5 losses, none of them have been by knockout. All of them have been to distance. And Edgar Berlanga, like, the referee maybe have maybe stopped at a heartbeat early, but he looked done. You know what I mean? Yeah. It looked like a justifiable yeah, 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 yeah. And you knew it was coming. Uh, Berlanga. Somebody, Berlanga's somebody to watch out in that super middleweight title picture. Especially yeah. since there's a vacant uh, title uh, in that weight class right now to WBC. And he's looking very confident, but he's got to get some rounds and got to get challenged. But shout out to Edgar Berlanga. If you haven't seen him, please look at our piece that Brian and I worked at, La Cultura, a Puerto Rican boxing story. Really good. You will see a fantastic, fantastic knockout that we captured. <laughs> Uh, in there, that is that still, is still, still great. Still, still getting, still getting views and uh, attention in the independent film festival circuit. Possibly well. on the next episode, we will have something good to announce uh, for you. <laughs> but like I said, uh, a good night for boxing, and hopefully, uh, we will see if it continues. The Sports Walk is back. Watch Season 3 of Backpack Broadcasting's original web series that brings you the opinions of real sports fans. The first two seasons and current season are available now for viewing on the Sports Walk YouTube channel and Facebook page. Check out the 2017 NYC WebFest official selection and see what other sports fans have to say on the hottest issues in sports today. It's easy. Just take the Sports Walk. to baseball, which we haven't mm. talked a little bit in a while. Yeah. Uh, baseball has some really interesting league championship series and what has been a crazy season as far as baseball with the 60-game season and everything. But we saw these league championship series, which were interesting in the fact that 
Two teams got out to big leads in the series and then almost blew them. Uh, one team did blow it, and it's kind mm. of common for this team to do it. Now, I necessarily, my heart yeah. wasn't bleeding for that team. We'll get to them in a second. The other team that could have came back was uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. They had a 3 nothing lead over the Houston Astros. The Astros then come back to tie this. Um, we hadn't seen this happen since the Yankees did this uh, in 2004. Yankee fans remember the pain of that happening to them with the Red Sox coming back and breaking their hearts. Uh, not crying for that team either. But Great year in baseball. I'll honestly. tell you what, and I told Brian this before we did this podcast, what I was rooting for. Brian's usually the person that roots for anarchy, and I was rooting for this to get messy. Now, so I, have I. No, I have no love for what the Astros did with their cheating asses last year, all the signaling and Jose Altuve lying about this stuff and all the nonsense that went on down with that, right? And, you know, the pandemic kind of let all this fly under the radar with them in the 60-game season. I kind of wanted them to either miss the playoffs or get knocked out early. But once that didn't happen, and once there was a chance that they could play the Dodgers in the World Series, I was all in. I was like, let's give me Dodgers, Astros, and I want to see the Dodgers win, and I really wanted to see them get there. So I was rooting for the Astros come back, but the Astros came back three down to get to game seven. They fall a hair short and they lose to the Rays who were back in the world series. Rays are a really fun young team. We'll say that a lot of, a lot of good young hitters on that team. Now to the national league, we had the Atlanta Braves and for Mets fans like us, you know, we don't really care about the Atlanta Braves. We have got a love, a lot of love for the Atlanta Braves. Okay. And they need, yeah. to, get, they need to get the Tomahawk chop all the way up out of there. That needs to happen. Atlanta Probably Braves. their team name and logo and that also. Yeah. <laughs> um, not a problematic stuff there. I think the team name will stay. I think the logo's got to get all the way up out of here. Anyway, is it, I don't know much about the team name history, but is it also like one of these things that they should probably get rid of? I say no. Um, it, it does have a tribal I don't name. Think it rises to the effect of like you know Indians. No, or I actually <laughs> kind of don't have a problem with Braves as opposed to like Chiefs. I think that needs to go. Um, Chief. Yeah, speaking of Chiefs, I want to give a quick shout-out. Shout-out to uh, Canarsie High School in Brooklyn, New York, because they were formerly known by that name, and they decided to change their name. They Um, did? They did change their name. Yeah, and it's funny. It's totally escaping me what they changed their name to, but they decided to do it, and kudos to them for getting with the times and doing it. Uh, I know a couple people on the basketball coaching staff and the athletic director, so, you know, random shout-out, but I saw a local team do it, so... I sometimes look at it, if the high schools can do it and get with it, then why can't the professional teams? Back to the Braves. Yeah. Uh, they had the 3-1 lead in this series, and the Braves did what a lot of Atlanta teams do, and they blew it. Mm-hmm. They blew it, blew it, and the Dodgers come back, and they're in the World Series, and it would have been really disappointing if the Dodgers to make it, and I'm rooting for the Dodgers because I want to kind of see them finally break through. Uh, Mookie Betts was doing Mookie Betts stuff in this series. Yo. Looking good. Yo. Um, <laughs> And I wish he was on the Mets, but that's a whole nother decision. All right. So with all that being said, with the Astros not being in there, not being as quite as messy as we wanted to be, who do you like in this World Series? So let me just say this about the Braves first. They probably have my favorite non-Puerto Rican, non-Met in all of baseball and Ronald Acuna. I do I, like love wa- I love watching that dude play. Yeah. I wish the Mets had him. Honestly, I, w- I, wish, I, wish, I wish the Mets could just, like, take him. And put him in the outfield for them. Uh, Ozzy Albies, too, is somebody I really like as well. Um, but I, I think that I think that Tampa's going to win. I don't trust the Dodgers at all. 
Clayton Kershaw. Like, I, I don't want to get on the dude for who who continuously struggles in the po- yeah, dude. But I don't want to get on the dude who uh, who you know, like it, it just seems so easy to just get on him because he sucks in the postseason compared to like what he actually does in a regular season, where it's just two total polar opposites if you look at the numbers. But for me, it's like I, I just don't trust that pitching staff as a whole starting with him in particular i love mookie Betts, so i would like to see him get a ring um i wanted the mess to try to get in that market obviously they weren't going to but now with new ownership i'm hoping that we can do a med rosario and uh who was the other guy for francisco lindor that i, I mentioned? remember you sent me the trade the other day and i was like yep i'll do it Syndergaard. Syndergaard. you said Syndergaard. Syndergaard. i do it i was like i was like i'll do it i'll do it i'll do it I'll do it. Well, we can get to that another time. But, yeah, I'm actually looking forward to it. Like, the baseball player playoffs have been exciting. I, you know, I'm glad that they've sort of mitigated the virus, I guess, at least as far as the league goes and have been able to, you know, finish the season. It looks like we're going to finish the season. Um, the NFL is going through some of the s- stuff that they were going – that baseball was going through before, although it's worse because it seems a little more cloudy and there's more players there. But baseball, look, like – you know, props to them for actually, because I didn't think they were going to finish the season when it got really ugly, probably like early on or midway through. Like the Cardinals had a breakout, the Marlins had a breakout, the Marlins who rebounded from that and then managed to not only get to the playoffs, but win a series against the Cubs. And then, you know, obviously lost to the Atlanta Braves. But, you know, like I think that the baseball playoffs have just been good in general. So I'm having a, a, a fun time watching it. But I definitely think that that Tampa Bay's winning this. They just play very they just play very well. I like the way I, I just like you know what I mean? I just like I would just like to see Tampa win also because it's Tampa. You know, like the Dodgers that you know at the Lakers just won a World Series. Like I just don't like You don't I'm, want LA to have two two champions yeah, in this Yeah, you know what I mean? I'm cool on that. And also like being the Mets fan that I am, it's like when you get another American League East team in the World Series that isn't the Yankees, you want that team to win. You just do. You know what I mean? Like I see I, the Dodgers. I have a little soft spot for. I always kind of have them as like a second team. I've always liked. They got the Brooklyn connection. I don't dislike. Nah, not, so here's my thing on Kershaw. Cause I'm glad you brought. I don't that care up. for Dodgers fans though. I'll say that much. Yeah, they, a lot they, of they, fans they show late. up to the and they show up to the games late. Um, it's LA thing. My uh, Miami does that too. That's a whole other story. Um, my or they don't show up to the games at all. Like for the Marlins. My my thing with Kershaw is Kershaw's too good to be this bad this long in the postseason. And I remember another player who was so bad in the postseason that was clearly great in the regular season, and that was Barry Bonds. And then in oh, 2003... I thought you were going to say Peyton Manning. For... <laughs> oh, no, I wasn't going to go there. I was who keeping wasn't, it, I was... Who, it wasn't that bad. I, I don't know. I, I thought Peyton it. Manning got overblown about how bad he was in the postseason. He kind of ran up into some bad situations. And didn't always have great defenses, so I didn't understand why it that, always got put on thing. him. Football is less of a much less of an individual sport yeah. than being a major league pitcher, right. or or in the case of Barry Bonds, somebody. Yeah. I mean, you have the at bats. You know what I mean? So Barry Bonds had this and was got tormented, and then in two thousand three, he had a breakout postseason. Another guy I remember doing this too was Alex Rodriguez. That was what year was that? That was two thousand nine, two thousand nine, or two thousand nine. The, 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 the last one, one two thousand nine. He had a great, he had a great postseason, fantastic yeah. postseason. Yeah. You can't, to me, you can't be great that long and just stay down. It's gonna have click at one point. And I think for Kershaw, who hasn't been that great this postseason, 
This might be it for him in the World Series. I have a funny feeling about it. This is the World Series. He puts it together. He needs to have two dominant games against a pretty tough lineup who's very scrappy. But I think he's got to figure it out. He's too good to not figure this out. Like, again, saw this happen for Rodriguez. He needs this to be what was for A-Rod in 09. I'm trying to think of another. You know, now you got me thinking about, B, who's another pitcher that me, really me, struggled on the big stage and then finally put it together. I mean, Roger Clemens had that for a while, too. I was thinking about, yeah. Randy Johnson shoot, even as well, too, before 2001. Let me shoot uh, Kershaw some bail, too. Uh, I believe it was game six when he got lit up at the end. He was actually good those first five innings. Yeah, people never give him credit for that before he imploded. So, in the, yeah, yeah I, want, I want to give him credit for that. Like, I, I don't know if – like, you still have to come through in the sixth inning, but – Maybe the manager is to blame to some degree for not spotting this an outer too early and not being able to make the change. But, you know, I got I, I do give Kershaw credit to some degree for getting through five. However, if you are Clayton Kershaw and he is, in fact, Clayton Kershaw, I would expect you to not just take me through five in the playoffs. I want you to get me through seven. I like hope he I, I look, I, I hope we can put it together. I just be mindful because, you know, and it's funny, even in that year, you know, A-Rod obviously won the championship. Barry Bonds did it that year. They ended up losing to the Angels in seven, and it wasn't his fault because he was fantastic. But you've seen pitchers like this struggle. Randy Johnson's one I mentioned, and he got to the Diamondbacks and was really good. Um, but, you know, even some people have tough luck sometimes, and, and we've seen that. But I think one of these years, Kershaw's going to come through. Again, he's just too talented, and maybe this is it. Um, I, understand, I understand everything you're saying, why people won't trust him. I, I'm going to say – I'm going to say – Dodgers in seven, Kershaw wins the MVP. Okay, I, I'm, I, I'm, I, I like just, that. I just think they might break through this year. We'll see. It's gonna be fun. I think it's gonna be interesting. It's really interesting watching the baseball where they're playing the games um, in Texas, and and you know now they're having a little bit of fans in there. Um, pretty spread out. Looks pretty decent from what they've been doing, from what I've seen. So we'll see. Uh, Dodgers in seven, go Dodgers. Because what else yeah. I have to root for? Can't root for the Mets. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because I thought that they could have actually gone to the playoffs and did some stuff. Um, you know, I'm just I'm gonna go raise in seven because part of me just thinks that this is gonna be a seven game series either either way. I feel like these teams are just evenly matched this, to that degree. So I'm gonna say raise in seven, but I do think Kershaw has at least one good World Series game. Got like you. I can't he can't he can't just keep like sort of imploding at some point in the game, even though, like, he he has a history of this. I don't want to see, like, Clayton Kershaw just continue to struggle, although, I mean, you know, it would be a little bit funny. I I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go G-Man Choi for MVP. Why not? I I will <laughs> say for Kershaw, and don't put a bone in it, I will say this is a pretty, I don't like putting the pressure, but this is kind of a big moment in his career. Like, if he, oh, de- absolutely. If he delivers... In the World Series, you know, most people forget what he did in these previous couple of rounds. Nobody's going to care. If he comes up big in the World Series and does what I predicted and gets the MVP and all that stuff, he'll have come through and it'll be great. And nobody will talk about us anymore. He's just too good. He's a Hall of Famer. And I don't want to see this spot in this record. You know, look, Peyton Manning eventually came through. It, you mentioned that before in football. It's going to happen. Basketball always feels like it's a little bit different of a story. No, um, we we did we actually on a broader level we did this to LeBron James until he ended up winning his first ring. Yeah, and people granted right. he wasn't he wasn't that bad, uh, you know before that, 
other than he obviously had he had the one big finals. But like in his years with Cleveland, we kind of just saw it as I mean now looking back at it, we all see it as like he was just carrying you know Shannon Brown, uh, Damian Jones, Sasha Pavlovich. You know what I mean? He had Ben Wallace at one point or whatever. But for the most part, we kind of just we kind of just look at that now and be like he was playing on an island or whatever or by himself. Like back then, I remember us being critical of him. Like, all right, this team is finishing first in the Eastern Conference. Why are they losing in the second or third round? I mean, he got to the finals once, whatever, whatever. And then that just sort of got to a whole nother level when he ended up going with the Miami Heat and losing to my guy, J.J. Barea. So. Your guy, J.J. Barea. Well, we'll see. Clayton Kershaw comes through because now's the time. Otherwise, it's going to get real hot in L.A. next season. I mean, we thought it was going to be hot this season. Remember, this is Dodgers team. This is their third time in the World Series in four years. Mets fans would love to have that. We'd love it if we got... Three World Series appearance in four years. But I was ecstatic that we got 2015 and then made the playoffs again in 2016, even though Jerry's familiar blew the blew the game at the end. Yeah. So what are you gonna do? Got got time to come. Francisco Lindor. That's what we're gonna do. Time to come through, Clayton Kershaw. Time to come through. One time for your mom. One time. One time for your mom. One time. One time for your mind. This week we're talking a little hip hop, and we're happy because. The top five albums a year. You know we do this every year, but we look at the best stuff in hip-hop. Uh, Brian and I have been talking, and we say it's getting a little crowded for us. I talked about months ago on this podcast. So I said, yo, B, it's, it's been kind of a weak year in hip-hop. We haven't had a lot of great album releases. We were seeing a lot of EPs. But now... That changed. This this has changed. And it all started back in the middle of the summer. We got King's Disease. Brian and I were very happy. Still very happy with that project. And, you know, now some other projects have come through. You know, we, we, we've, we're we seeing some other stuff come through in two releases uh, last week. Have me and Brian pretty, pretty happy. Uh, one being uh, album from uh, Griselda members. All the Griselda members have dropped albums within the last six weeks, uh, which has been which has been pretty impressive. You know, we talked about Conway's From a King to a God a couple weeks back. And now Benny the Butcher got his uh, solo project. Out, and this was entirely like King's Disease, produced by Hip Boy. And man, there was some fantastic production. Before we get to that, the other album we're talking about that was good. I've been waiting on this album for quite some time. Black Thoughts, uh, Streams of Thought, Volume 3, produced entirely by uh, Sean C., um, who many people know of producing with Sean C. and LV. Uh, those guys did a lot of work on American Gangster, Jay Z's 2007 album. <clears throat> Um, with Sean C. handling all the production on this too. I will take it as a note, and this might be something to keep your eye on as we get closer to the end of the year and we look at Hip Hop Awards. I already say this, some of my favorite albums this year, and Brian and I have talked about this in another podcast, are albums that are being, where the production is being handled by either one person or just a few producers. So the sound is very cohesive. Yeah. Something I think to keep an eye on going this year. All right, but let's go back to Benny the Butcher's uh, album with Hit Boy, Burden of Proof, 13 tracks. Uh, production from Hit Boy, fire. Fire. <laughs> Hit Boy is on fire. I mean, Yo, he's running away with producer of the year. It's not, it's even, not close. even close. It's and not I think, even close. I think, I think Alchemist is second, but like he's a kind of distant second. And we love, <clears throat> excuse me, we love Alchemist up here, you know? Oh, uh, yeah, we do. I mean, but but the produ- the production on this was really good. 
Um, if you've listened to Griselda and, and Griselda's music, that it provided a lot. Look, this this was very coke heavy, drug dealing rap. You know what Benny the Butcher delivers, but um, in a skillful way. But I thought there were some songs, and Brian knows I look for this with artists a little bit of growth, a little bit of introspection, a little bit of bringing us personally to life, particularly when we talk about rap. Uh, Benny did that a little bit on on this album. Um, I thought the features were pretty good for the most part. Um, Benny was as sharp as ever. Is one of the last song on the album. Legends, a really good song. A uh, great song with Freddie Gibbs. It's probably already my most played song in the album. Uh, one Way Flight. I, I, the production on that. Look, and I'll say this one. If, if you listen to this album and you like Hit Boy production, and it's, it's very, it's a little different in the production that you heard on King's Disease. This is a little bit more soulful on this record. If you liked that, if you're a fan of, and I was a fan of this era, the soul era, 03, 02, not really 01, about 04, that kind of era, you know, a lot of Ninth Wonder, a lot of Kanye production of that time, you like this. Some of these beats on this are very much shades of Kanye. You can see the Kanye influence in hip hop, and excuse me, hip boy, um, old, through this old album, Kanye. old Kanye, we should say. Important, important yeah. to note. And Benny is just skating over these soulful beats. Um, and it's not, not that the whole thing is like that, some non-soulful beats, but this was... Look, man, I didn't look overall. It's a really good project. Benny spit on this. Uh, there's really good songs. You can see what working with one producer has done for him. Not that we don't like seeing him with Derrigan and, and Beat Butcher, who we love from Griselda, the in house producers, but seeing him work with a different producer um, who probably brought more sounds that we normally don't see Benny with, but also structure and hone in some songs. I think that's the thing yeah. I'm liking. I'm liking what I'm seeing from Hit Boy, where you can't, it's not just about the beats, man. It's about what he's able to do working with this artist. And you, Nas talked about this in interviews about how he pushed him to get this out of him or how to craft a certain record. And that's what really good producers do, really in anything, even in producing podcasts or producing other content. You're really pushing people to get the most out of them in the storytelling, whatever you do. And so you can see that in Benny, where this is what another level than what we've seen for him on, on certain Griselda projects. And I was very impressed. I mean, it... it Makes you be like, I'd say I can appreciate what he's doing with another sound. He and Hip Boy seem to have very good chemistry in the way yeah. we saw um, your boy Freddie Gibbs have it with Alchemist and previously last year. Obviously, we know the chemistry that he has with Mad Lib, and it's in that similar vein. I think this is um, going to be up there as one of the albums of the year that people are going to talk about for sure. Yeah, it's up there for me. I mean, I don't know where yet. I'm still sort of figuring that out. And, you know, I feel like my list is going to change. But right now I have I have a top 10. We usually do top five. We've already talked about like I, I went to you recently and I was like, yo, we might need to do 10, which also means We're we, might need, to do two, <laughs> we might need to do two separate episodes if we do that, because 10 albums is kind it's of a lot. lot but yeah, it's tough. It's tough. We'll see. Top, we might do that. Top five is going to be really tough. But, you know, we could stretch it out and make a couple episodes out of it. So who knows? But anyway, um, starting with the first track, Burden of Proof, I love the intro. I actually kind of wish he rapped on the first version of that beat a little bit more. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I love the way that sounded. He only gave you a couple bars toward the end. Um, I'm not going to go all track by track, but I'm just going to briefly go through. Like, Rick Ross was on the second joint. Uh, you know, I could do without the Rick Ross feature. I know people get excited about Rick Ross being on joints. Um, like, with Scotty Beam, for example, didn't really do a ton for me on that. Didn't really do a ton for me on this. Like, I like Rick Ross generally, but I know what I'm getting 
and I don't feel like it's just adding a lot to the record. That's yeah, I, that that that, that like I think that's one of the weaker tracks Benny, on the album for sure. I, yeah, like if I'm getting rapidly rap Benny, rapidly rap Freddie, I kind of just want some rapidly rap shit. Rick Ross doesn't really give you rapidly rap shit. You know, he like I told you over the phone, he kind of gives you shirt off with cherries, you know, women feeding him or whatever, <laughs> being by the pool, um, you know, talking about how he just got off a speed race with somebody. He was chilling on a yacht here and he was doing this. And you know what I mean? Versace draws and the whole thing. Like, I know what it is, Rick Ross. And with, with Benny, it's like, you know, uh, Coke. <laughs> well, you know, you know, it sounds like you know what it is with Benny, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just too. But, like, the Coke bars are going to be very intricate. And I want to say this, too. Benny, and I, t- and I talked to you about this uh, when we were talking about this, I think, when it first came out. Like, it wasn't just a lot of Coke bars for me because it was, it was also, like, just being happy that he's here. And at the same time, being able to prove, like, yo, I'm here and I'm just as good as whomever. And just being creative about doing songs in that realm as well. So I feel like there was a little bit less of what we known from him as Griselda and a little bit more of just maybe confidence. I don't know if that's the right word for it because he's yeah. always been confidence to me, but just a little more of that. Gro- I think it's growth. I think it's growth, growth. and experience and, and, and digging deeper into his stories. I saw that. Yeah. So um, Sly Green is a beat that I love. It's really good. One Way Flight, Famous is one of the best songs on here. Timeless. If that's the best Little Wayne sounded in a long time. Wow, Little Wayne's verse on that is crazy. He had the best verse on the song. No disrespect to Big Sean or Benny, who I thought also had good verses. Yeah, but, but Little Wayne stole the show in that. Little Little Wayne. That might be the, the best, best verse on the album. It's one of the best verses on the album. Yeah. like it, it's not it's not below five if it's even that. Uh, that's a, that's um, a, Little Wayne snapped on that. New New Streets, uh, Over the Limit with Dom Kennedy. That's a song that I see a lot of people like and like Dom Kennedy on the hook. Um, not a song that I've gone back to a ton, but you know, I appreciate the record trade it all. Thank God I made it great record. Um, maybe pound for pound, the best record on the album. I have to sit with that a little bit more, but that's a song that I love. Uh, queen, I think Naja, I think that's yeah. how you pronounce it. Yeah. Did a great job on that record. You know, the Griselda song is going to be dope, uh, with him, West Side Gun, Conway, War Paint. And then legend, I think is my favorite song on the album so far. Uh, I would say that either that or Thank God I Made It is probably the best song on the album. As far as, like, rating goes, like, my first inclination right away, kind of like with Conway, is like, this is probably an 8 out of 5. I feel, I mean, 8, eight, yeah. eight, eight and a half Stop out mess, of 10. messing up your fractions, man. Yeah, word. <laughs> 8 out of 5 would be really, you know, that's like Illmatic level, you know? <laughs> word. But, but eight, out, 8 and a half out of 10, 8.5 is what I meant to say, sorry. 8.5 out of 10 is my first sort of inclination um, I felt the same way about Conway's project, uh, similar about King's Disease, or like between eight, eight and a half, because I feel like this. I feel like this is a touch better than an eight. You know what I mean? Like I feel like eight is like. You want to go eight and a quarter? You know what I mean? I feel like it's somewhere along the lines, but I don't know how it stacks up against some of the other albums. But I was really happy with it. It was as good as I expected it to be because my expectations were high, and they were higher after I heard what hit boy did with Nas and that's freaking Nas. So I was like, all right, let's see what he could do with Benny, who is arguably the best rapper rapping right now, as far as, you know, the, the, the wave of artists that we're hearing from on a consistent basis. Yeah, no, it, 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 this is a good project. I'm very impressed with it. Um, I, I'm very impressed with hit boy as a producer, um, his range and what he could produce that that's the thing. He has a lot of range as a producer, 
So I've really become a fan of him. Like my the range of what I thought he could do is is just grown tremendously. So that's great to see. All right, so we got that one album we both like, but another album that dropped the same uh, day, uh, Black Thought, Streams of Thought, Volume Three, Cain and Abel. As I said, entirely produced by Sean C. And uh, this got delayed um, after Malik B's passing uh, with the Roots, and it got delayed. We didn't know it was coming out. The Black Thought said it was coming out, and Look, Black Thought did Black Thought things. <laughs> if you know me, you know I love the Roots. Uh, I love Black Thought. I've seen them live four or five times. I don't remember. It's been a bunch. Um, we're supposed to go to Roots Picnics here. That would have probably been six. Did not go to that because of the pandemic. Um, but uh, Black Thought, just great. This, to me, if you look at the Streams of Thought series, they've been... You know, kind of what you think. Streams of Thought, right? They're just like a lot of little, you know, Black Thought rhyming for a little bit. Not a lot of structured songs. You saw him go through that a little bit more on Volume 2, but still not the same. That was a project he did with um, Salam Remy. He did that with joint with him. Mm. And there still wasn't a lot of structure. This is way more structured. It's it's practically an album. It's way yes. more structured. There's a clear pro-black theme on this album, yep. right? And it's about black consciousness and very pro-black. And it's really good, man. It's really good. I'm going to go off the bat, uh, bat and say this. So Brian has uh, the Benny in this eight, eight and a half range, which I happen to agree with. This is still very early for both of us. We still haven't sat with these projects long enough. I have the Black Thought pretty much in that same range. Same. My only knock really on the Black Thought would be he had, you know, three skits. I didn't know if they really needed it. Now they fit thematically in the album. There's nothing wrong with them. I don't know if I'm going to necessarily care to listen to them again, but they're not bad. They don't really fit out a theme. But the songs are really good. Uh, I, one of the first songs in the album, um, uh, it's a prisoner song. I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting. State, it again. Prisoner. State prisoner. Sorry, I was, about to say I was about to say prisoner of thought. And I was like, that's not let, it. Um, let me tell you something about State Prisoner, boy. <laughs> he snapped on that man. That is a song of the year candidate. Period. That yeah. is one of the best songs I've heard this year. Yeah, honestly, he snapped on that. Um, it got, the, the album flows very nicely. Goes into the track "Good Morning," which was released before this. With Swizz, Pusha T, and Killer Mike, which is a really good song. I really like that song a lot. Um, there's some other other standouts here. Magnificent, also a really good song. There's Stakem with Schoolboy Q. Um, just just really a, a, a good album uh, overall. There's another song he talks about relationships. Uh, we could be united. United is a really good song too. So this is a lot of because the last song Fuel is really great on the, on on, the, on this Yo. album. Um, Yo. a lot of really good songs and it was good to see almost like Black Thought was in the space with this of where he really was looking that he had something to say I didn't even mention Thought versus Everybody which he spans his own too uh, um, uh, I yeah. totally didn't even mention that but um, well we that be, song's been out yeah song's been out but we, well, we Could Be Good also really good there's just a lot of good songs on here like I said and Black Thought just around structured themes good hooks which is something you didn't get really on volume one and two of the Streams of Thought series. So you got hooks. They're just way more structured songs. I thought the production fit Black Thought really well. His work, he seemed like he had really good chemistry um, with Sean C on this one. You could tell he really put a lot of work into this one. Um, where it felt with the cohesiveness that Roots albums usually do, but more that it was still his own thing. And that I really liked. So, yo, this is a project I know. I think it, I think in the long term, I could see this having higher replay value for me than the Benny just because of the diverse subject matter. 
but they're both really good in their own right and have now moved into a very crowded yeah. hip hip hop best hip hop album of the year field, as we say. I think Brian and I will both say, well, I'm not going to say that because we don't want to ruin future episodes, people, but we have an idea of where, where things are with this, but this has entered and jumbled up what is now, I think, a really good field of five to six albums that you could say are really good. I, I have eight or nine albums that I really like and play a good amount that have, that have come out this year already. And the other day when I was working on stuff on a laptop, I just found myself playing a bunch of them over and over, these two included. Um, good Morning, I was, listen, I ain't going to lie. When I heard Good Morning uh, again, because I only heard it when it come out, and I kind of have forgotten about it because I was like, the album's coming. I don't want to play this too much. I kind of fell into that with Ultra Black. But thank God I heard it when the album came out, and I was like, oh, this sounds a lot better sequenced this way, even though I liked it when it came out. I got a little bit nervous when Swiss Beats started like rapping a little bit, and when he petered out after four bars, I was like, "Whew!" I'm like, I, I didn't. <laughs> no disrespect. I don't. I never need the Swiss Beats verse. You only need sixteen think, bars from Swizzy. <laughs> nah, you know what I mean. Like, I like Top Down. I think Nas was on the remix of that. It wasn't GTA Four. That was one of my joints back then. But always I, I comes usually, back to a like, video I'm game. cool, but. I do agree. Something I really liked about Bandana was like the skits were part of the songs, so it didn't feel like there were so many skits. Like albums do that. I think Black Dog could have threw Experience, which is a 28 second skit, on the end of Magnificent. You know what I mean? Um, shout out to Portugal, the man, because Jesus Christ, <laughs> all over this album, uh, hit uh, three home runs on this. Uh, Schoolboy Q didn't expect to see a Black Dog Schoolboy Q feature. Didn't know how much I would like it. Stakeham is a song that I actually really like. Yeah, it's really good. This album. And yo, definitely shout out to Portugal Man Rock Group for people who don't know who now I want to actually go check out their work because I really like the hooks and some oh, of the added production they, they had on there. They had uh, one or two really good songs in FIFA. Not that Always long. comes back to a video <laughs> game. It does, but like they had a couple of really good songs in FIFA a while ago, so it, it led to me checking them out. So when I saw this collab here, I, you know, I already had some familiarity with their discography. So I was like, oh, this this actually sounds interesting. I'm going to check you know them out. I, I, like, I like their work and the three songs that they're on this project. I do. Yeah. I like the songs. So they're good. I mean, yeah, it, it does have the skits. But let me say this, too. So this is something we've talked about on, on, on this show. It's just album length and how that could factor into how you grade a project. Yes. King's Disease, Burden of Proof. And Streams of Thought, I think, are all 38 minutes and change. I think are all literally the exact same amount, roughly, of 12, 13 songs each project. Conway, I think, might have been a slight bit longer with, like, 14 records or something like that. Um, but, like, this is the – that's, like, the sweet spot for me. 10 to, like, 14 records at most um, with, like, you know, no more than 45 minutes of music. Because then after that, it's like, this better be really good, like Royce the Five Nines, Book of Ryan. Otherwise, I'm out like I was on Allegory. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's two very different two very different 20 joint projects. But Black Thought, uh, he's one of the best to ever do it. This was a pleasant surprise because I had forgotten this album was coming out on this day until like the day before. I think you reminded me. So, uh, and, and it, it was just a really, really, really good day for music because we got these two albums, Benny the Butcher's album, and a Black Dots album, we also got, finally, a Nas and Joey Badass record, which we should probably spend a couple minutes on. But this Black Dot album, it's going to, I don't know where, 
I don't know where these albums are going to be. Just know that they're going to be up there once we figure out our top five, ten, or whatever we're doing for the albums of the year. Because that the discussion's already hard, and I still feel like we're going to get maybe J. Cole or somebody like that. And I, I, I don't know. It can know. get harder. It's discussion, be tough. This could be I have, tough. I have a top ten that I feel like this. I'm confident it could stay here. I'm confident it could stick or whatever. I even have an album that I recently removed from that top ten, which is pretty good. But... If, if Cole drops a project that's as good as 1985, for example, then we're going to have to reconsider some things. And that's we'll, just 1985. Never mind a Forest Hills Drives level project. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. It'll be interesting. The other song you just mentioned before we get out of here, uh, Joey Badass and Nas collabed on the new Static Selected track. Finally, uh, finally. finally, which will be off of Static's upcoming album uh, coming out soon. Really good sounding track. Like the production. Um, also features Gary Clark Jr., on, on the track. Um, nah, really good. Nas and, and Joey rapping back and forth, paying a lot of homage and love to each other. And it's kind of positive about, you know, moving through, keeping up your heads through these times, which is a really good message. But nah, I like that. Like to see the two of them collab. Thought we were going to get something maybe on Joey's album. But, you know, like to see res- respect. Okay. Yeah, it's possible. Like to see okay. respect through the young artists. Still waiting for that Joey album, even though he gave us the nice little EP teaser. Um, through the summer, but yeah, no, that's exciting, and obviously Static is probably one of the only people, because I love his production, where I get excited for his compilation albums, because he tends to get a lot of rappers that I actually like. I'm not a big compilation album guy, never been a right. huge fan, but Static's the one I always check for, kind of like his production, and he usually gets at least a good handful of artists that I like, yeah. or will introduce me into some artists that I may not have known of to to get into people. I mean, Static, static albums, how I got into Logic, so... And, and a quite a couple other people. So it you ne- you never know. Um actually that was even my introduction to like Griselda too. Um so you never know who you get sometimes for these compilation albums who might stand out. So it's it's been good. Look, it's a good time for hip hop, man. It Yo. feels like it feels like real albums and you talked about cohesive albums be are coming back. Like it feels like the real is coming back. Let me say this about the Nas joint, badass joint, because this is a like I told you, there's a list of of collaborations that I feel like Nas has to give us, especially now that I feel like it seems, it seems, well, you know, as hip hop fans, fans, you know what I'm saying? But there's like, you know, he's been around for a long time and I still want to hear, you know, certain collaborations. Uh, Joey Badass was at the top of that list. And this one delivered. I actually was very pleasantly surprised when I was like, wait, I was listening to the song. Joey Badass gives you the eight and then the verse stops and then Nas jumps in. And then I'm like, Oh, Oh, they're going back and forth. Like I was like, oh shit, you know what I mean? And then, and then the end of each of their like, ostensibly it was a sixteen each that was broken up eight 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 eight. So it was a thirty two bar record with the hook at the end. And I was like, oh, they didn't half ass this either because like th- these are dope verses, you know. And it was just great to hear both of them on a song together. I texted you. I was like, man, I could get it. I could I could do five to seven of these for an EP. Honestly, produced by the Static, do the whole thing. But yeah. I'm I'm actually looking forward to whatever Static Selectors got also because he'll get like he'll get Sky Zoo, Action Bronson, Royce of Five Nine, uh who I'm not sure I want to hear from that badly right now. Uh Black Thought. Um, you know, and that Royce of Five Nine thing was for other reasons. But <laughs> not not for his music. Not for his music. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not for his music. But um 
Well, you know, yeah, like he, he, that, that's going to be a solid project, I'm sure. And I'm going to pick out some favorites for them, but I'm glad, look, that was probably the song that I played the most out of all the songs I heard that day, probably because it was just, it came out just as a song as opposed to everything else being an album. But that song, I replayed it a lot. Uh, it just has a really good sound. Static selected, like that's, that's my kind of hip hop instrumental. I feel like Sky Zoo would kill that. Somebody in that sort of ballpark. I can hear him I actually, on that, yeah. I, I actually think that uh, all of Griselda would have done, you know, something special to that beat as well. But, you know, I'm glad I'm glad Nas and Joey Badass did that. And, you know, it sounds like we're going to hear more from both of them because, again, we talked about J. Cole, and it's possible that Kendrick's album uh, got pushed back. I don't know what pushback means. Does that mean till next year or does that mean to December? But Joey Badass is someone who could drop an album this year. And if you remember, he had my album of the year for 2017, All American Badass, which I think is a, a is a definitive classic hip hop album. So, all right, we'll see. Hopefully, we get some more good projects. That's it for this episode of the Ain't Hard Stuff Podcast, episode 151. Continue to support us, uh, rate, leave a review on wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our Patreon. Please continue to follow us on our social media platforms at AHTT Podcast. For Brian Fonseca, Jim. Dexter Henry. Until next time, y'all. Peace.